to Affect Autism, where Affect is the number one tool we use in supporting child development through playful interactions. Hello, welcome to Affect Autism. This week, we have a new guest, Chris Hernandez. He is an ed tech coach, an instructional designer, and a digital creator. He is also the media specialist at the Rebecca School in Manhattan, which is a developmental individual differences relationship-based model school. And he holds a DIR certificate from ICDL, the Interdisciplinary Council on Development and Learning, the home of DIR floor time. Chris, everything you do is amazing. I can't wait to tell the world about it. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. No, it's really exciting to be on the podcast. I, I'm really excited and happy that you invited me on. Um, this is definitely a great opportunity, especially to talk about floor time. Of course, of course. Now, Chris and I met um, in March at the Rebecca School Conference, which was sponsored mm -hmm. by ICDL. And because I do this podcast, a bunch of the Rebecca School staff kept saying me, you have to come meet Chris. He does our podcast at Rebecca School. <laughs> So finally, at one of the breaks, we got to speak and I said, you got to come on my podcast. And so today we have so much to talk about. I want to jump right in. Mm -hmm. Can you first start by describing your role at the Rebecca School as the media specialist and how that started? Because to be honest, I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know if you were like the audio visual guy. Mm -hmm. And then I hear, oh, he's actually teaching digital music classes to the students. Oh, he's actually like part of this. And the more I learned about you, the more I realized how much you were doing. And I was like, this guy is super impressive. So tell us how it all started and about your role at the Rebecca School. That's uh, that's like the best introduction I've ever had. Uh, <laughs> um, so yes, uh, as Daria said, I am Chris Hernandez. I am the media specialist at Rebecca School in Manhattan. Um, my role as the media specialist started, it's been so long. So um, it started I believe about like three years ago, I've been at Rebecca school for five or six years. Um, I started as a para and became a TA. Um, and then eventually I became the school's media specialist. Um, so how first background for how this came about is um, when I was a TA, I was looking to get into tech um, actually. And I actually wanted to get more into the educational technology side of things. And then it just so happened that a role opened up um, at the school uh, for, I forget what the person before me, what his title actually was, um, but I'll just say, I guess, media specialist, but the media specialist before me was leaving. Um, and so I was considered for the role and then I was given the role. And so my media specialist started out first as the handler of the school's social media Um designing our yearbook, taking photos of student events and stuff like that, taking video, um, taking video of like special like classes that were occurring and stuff like that, like cooking groups and, and things and everything. Um, and then I kept like dragging around in my head, like I could be doing more than just this and everything. And I had this idea of like, you know, STEM was really big at the time uh, and everyone was talking about coding. And I was let's like, just, for the people that are like old, like me and, and all that, let's just spell out what STEM is. So STEM is, uh, I'm sorry about that. I, I, I have a bad habit of assuming everyone knows what everything is. And so I do have to be stopped sometimes. Um, so STEM stands for science, technology, uh, engineering, and mathematics. 
Um, and it is a kind of curriculum. I, I, I describe it in a duality. I'm like, it's a methodology of teaching, but it, it's, it's really a curriculum of teaching. Um, and so I was like, oh, I want to kind of start a semi STEM program at the school. I, I've since moved away from that because STEM for, for just a really quick background, that way we don't spend way too much time on it. Um, STEM actually has roots in different things. So it means an actual science education. Um, the technology part is coding. The engineering part is coding. And then an actual mathematics um, education. Um, and that is what the curriculum revolves around. And I actually have, and we'll talk about this later, but I have resources on my site that describe all of this. Um, and nowadays, STEM is kind of marketed as like the coding curriculum and stuff like that, um, which it is not. It's not solely coding. And I wanted to kind of use coding and the kids' love of technology um, in a DIR floor timey way. And so I invented a coding group at the school. Um, and that's where my role kind of evolved. I started taking on all of these kind of, we called them computer groups, but really what they were, were we had students coming in to, into my office for, uh, in groups. Uh, so this is back when we can do things in groups. So it'd be like three or four students and then another facilitator. So like a TA, a para or, uh, a occupational therapist or something. And, um, essentially depending on their, uh, development where they were developmentally, uh, we would start with different aspects of coding. So like, for instance, just to give an example of that, uh, one group operate all, all three members operated at like developmental capacity. It was like five, they, they got to five easily, um, in, in their own respects. And so for them, we started out with straight, like, this is what coding is. You already have a fundamental understanding of what coding does. This is how you make video games. And it was all centered around video games. And then I adopted a secondary group later on with an occupational therapist. And this is where it gets really DIR floor timey. Um, these kids had no clue how a video game was created. They didn't know what coding was. They, they loved computers, but they had no clue how anything came to fruition. So that and how, rather, how, old, how old were these kids approximately? Like you mentioned, they were at about the fifth developmental capacity in the DIR model, which is where a child is regulated. They're able to engage mm -hmm. in interactive uh, communication with another person, socially problem solve together, and they're able to see into the abstract and have, um, have emotional ideas. And um, so they're, they're at that higher capacity mm -hmm. level um, and I'm guessing their ages are probably preteens, teens. So yes, they were in the teens. Um, they ranged from, I believe it was 12 to 16 between the three of them. Um, they've since left Rebecca school, which is why I'm like trying to recall. Uh, they, they left maybe like a year, year and a half ago. And then the other group, which I always referred to as the, the younger group, um, they were at developmental capacity, maybe like three, um, and some of them struggling at developmental capacity three. And so they were my would they young- have, Would they have, sorry to keep interrupting, um, mm -hmm. would they have to have a an ability to read and write before they get to this point? So this is the funny, the, not funny, but this is the, this is actually the interesting thing to note. So 
with the younger group, we actually, in the beginning, when it first started, we had a student who could not read, um, who was struggling to read. And so the group was, and again, the group had no clue how video games or co what coding was. So thinking of coding developmentally, you have to start at like, what is a computer? And like, let's build a computer together. So there was a lot of hands-on stuff that happened um, before we even got to the stuff like reading and um, eye focus skills and like, like movement skills, like, like using a mouse or using a keyboard and stuff like that and everything. And so then eventually that group, that group was super, super cool because it eventually went into their individual differences, which is the, the I and DIR. Um, and so essentially the student who struggled with reading, we started him out when we built the computer, uh, we used a little Kano computer that you snap together and it has its own operating system and it has pre put like activities on it and stuff like that. And we started out with him being, we started out with tasks, like these fake tasks. So he was the person that only controlled the mouse. And so the, the, student that was strongest at reading was the typer. And we did this for maybe like two or three months until they got in sync with each other and stuff like that. And they got in sync with these, these fake tasks. And then we switched it up on them and we put them where they were weakest at. And so the student who was struggling to read, we would physically like hold the keyboard up in front of him and we also had like a little pad for writing. And we were like, this is what an eye looks like. And this is, and it was like, really? Cause at the end of the day, it's not about the coding. Like it's, it's not, I don't, I don't care about the coding. I don't care if anyone goes on to, to be a famous coder. It, it was about the DIR floor time aspect of it. So that's how those groups got structured. Um, and they were really, really cool. And then eventually, like, as you mentioned, um, it moved on into, we had one student who loved music um and we used chrome music lab which is kind of like a block placing music platform it's by google and so he would just construct kind of like these musical tunes that would loop over and over again and then we eventually moved into an actual digital creation platform uh not digital creation but uh, an actual music creation platform which was fl studio uh, which is a professional music pr development suite and uh he composed a song in it and everything uh, using loops because he got used to using the loop aspect of things. And so using loops, he developed a, I wouldn't say entire song, but kind of like the half of what would be a song, um, which was so super Chris, cool. I, for the technologically challenged, mm -hmm. I think I even understand this. Loop <laughs> means you're cutting and pasting. Like if you create a sequence of sounds that goes do, 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 do. Do, 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 do. And then you cut and paste that and uh, yes. in, at the end, and then it goes do, 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 do. and it do, just do, repeats do, 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 yes. do, 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 over yes, and over. Exactly. Okay, right. I got that yes. much. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my groups were, and at the time of the DIR floor time conference of this year, back in March, uh, my groups were at an all time like favorite, I, I would say, in the school. Um, I had multiple groups uh, going on at the, not at the same time, but throughout the week. Um, and each of them at their own developmental levels, I, I, I was, so my whole focus had become structuring things as like at their developmental level. 
and uh, meeting them where they were. And like in terms of coding, it's really easy because, and, but not all the students, which is why I talked about music, because not all the students like coding, not all the students like computers, um, which is actually rare nowadays when students don't like computers. Um, but with coding, meeting someone developmentally means obviously starting at that, what is a computer stage um, if they're at one, two, or three, and then eventually building into like things like Scratch where it's block-based coding, where it just says, this will happen. It tells you what's gonna happen. And then eventually breaking that down, like what do you think is happening here? What do you think this statement means? What, what do you think that is? And, um, and the great thing about like block-based coding is that it's color coded. So they get used to the colors and everything, which is really easy to memorize. And then you eventually build up into actual coding for a video game, which of course is the absence of everything visual and you're just coding in something just blank. Um, but at that point, when they get to that point in their head, they can visualize what the end game is. It's like, okay, so if I code this, then I'm going to be able to see something at the end of it. Um, and it's about connecting that piece together. Now, do you have a background in coding or what did you take in your own schooling? So this is really funny. Um, so I, for, I, I skipped over this part. So for the media specialist role at the school, I had or well, have a background in graphic design, um, video editing and, uh, and social media marketing slash like advertising. Um, that was what my undergrad degree was in. And I was self-taught in coding. I self-taught, I, I took a couple classes in undergrad, but for the most part, post-undergrad, I there was a year or two there that I actually was taking like these free online courses for learning how to code. And that's how I picked up um, HTML. So for a while, I was actually a freelance website builder um, back when website building was still a thing and we didn't have these, these drag and drop stuff. And... Then I uh, learned Python, uh, which is one of the main programming and programming languages I push on computer groups is uh, the Python programming language. And then I recently just finished my master's degree um, in educational technology and instructional design, um, which is basically for just creating curriculums, whether they be for businesses or educational facilities and whether it's adults or children because I'm really interested in this whole um, creating an actual coding curriculum um, for children with uh, neurodevelopmental delays and things like that uh, based on floor time. Okay, can I just say <laughs> your future looks so bright. I mean, every school I hope so. <laughs> in the world could use a Chris Hernandez here because this is incredible. Like, um, you know, I, I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say the majority of people working in schools everywhere barely know how to use email. <laughs> I alone, believe that. <laughs> let alone how to do all of this stuff you've been describing. It's just incredible to give kids the access to all of this mm -hmm. stuff. So, I mean, wow, I can see you becoming a national trainer for educators on how to do this kind of curriculum and the fact that you specialize in the neurodiverse community is amazing. The fact that you've embraced DIR floor time at mm. the ripe age of 30 is amazing. It's just um, you and Donnie Welch. Uh, we did a podcast with him about his poetry groups at Rebecca School. Like you guys are the young whippersnappers that are leading the way in 
with what isn't necessarily mainstream curriculum mm-hmm. in schools or mainstream things that schools think about but it's the future like all of mm-hmm. the things that you're doing really is about it's the future like that's what kids kids now are raised with computers and mm-hmm. they need to know how to use them and they need to know how to code and they and all of this so this is amazing this is incredible well that's where actually the whole idea came from and where my job is at now because way back when i was thinking like like oh my god like in a typical school you know these kids are learning how to use computers and stuff like that and it's like what are we doing for our kids in this community to set them up for success in the long-term aspect of life because the thing is is that technology is not going anywhere and jobs are going to change and they are going to have to know how to do those jobs Um, and that's where it started and so as this evolved and everything went virtual I had actually been talking to um, two of my colleagues, uh, both my direct supervisor and another colleague who is a transition supervisor. And um, I had been talking for a long time about media literacy. I had stumbled um, upon my education, uh, completing my master's degree. I had stumbled across something called MESH. Um, So MESH is much like STEAM, uh, well, STEM, STEM and STEAM. STEAM is just with art involved in it. Um, Mesh is the opposite of it. And it's Mesh is born out of the aspect that there are certain things missing from both, from all types of curriculum. Um, And so what Mesh stands for, it's M-E-S-H. Mesh stands for media literacy, ethics, um, social learning, I believe, and history. And that those are the things that we are forgetting about, um, which gave birth to the rise of this whole now I'm in charge of since we can't do computer groups in person and the tech isn't there to do it virtually, um, especially with this population, um, then it, it kind of evolved into like a media literacy program. And so I have two groups at the school and I have a co-leader who is the transitions uh, supervisor. And we basically, we started out with like, what do we like to do on the internet? What is it that's, what like what technology are we used to using and stuff like that? And we're working into the pitfalls of, because this is another aspect of things. Um, We want to teach students about technology, but we don't want to teach them about the dangers of technology. And so a lot of our kids are love video games. They, I've already said that multiple times. They love video games. They play video games online and they talk about all their friends, like these, these but they're, they're not real friends that you meet online. And then I remember stumbling across an article about there's a huge rise in predators on video games who are sullying the video game community. And they're preying on children who don't understand that stranger danger applies to both in real life people and virtual people. Um, And I'm someone that actually, this is is a quick story, I'm someone that actually has experienced that. I I had someone in a video game who I guess didn't know I was a grown man. Um, We were playing playing a team-based video game together. And I don't talk much in video games. Um, I, I, I don't, I focus on the video game and the person had essentially like reached out to me and they were like, Hey, I want to see a picture of your face. Like that's what they sent to me in, in a message. And so 
I thought back to, I think about the article all the time and I'm like, what would a kid have done? I am a grown man um, in his thirties. And so like, obviously my reaction was like, yo dude, you're, you're getting uh, reported. I'm, I'm reporting you uh, to, I believe it was PlayStation. I was playing at the time. And I was like, I I'm reporting you on PlayStation. Um, things like this are super serious. Um, I bet you're a grown man like this. It, Cause he had, he had a, his profile picture and I was like, you know, this is, this is not okay. This isn't cool. I'm like, you can't just go around asking people for pictures of themselves and stuff like that. Um, and so I think about that all the time. And especially when we're doing these media literacy groups at school, uh, because a lot of the kids tend to think, and a parents reach out to me as well, um, to consult on, on stuff like, uh, password safety and stuff like that and everything. But the kids seem to think that like, there's, there's, there's this mindset that everyone online is trustworthy and everything that everyone says is true. And it's actually the complete opposite. Um, the internet's built up to this space where, where a lot of things are false. Um, and there, the truth is kind of misconstrued and it just, it just needs navigating it. That's what I'm trying to say. It just, it needs navigating. Absolutely. Um, certainly seen that with the election stuff, which we won't get into. Yeah, no, <laughs> uh, a lot of adults can't decipher the truth uh, mm -hmm. either. And it's, it's a scary situation going forward for sure. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to jump, we'll, we'll get back to Rebecca school stuff later, but while you're on this role about all this amazing stuff you do, I wanted to bring up, your own personal website. Maybe you can tell us about this. So Chris also has this website, Level Up Time Studio, and also a YouTube channel. And why don't you tell us a bit about what is on here and how you're doing podcasts and other information for educators and for, I'll let you take it over. Um, you, can, you can tell me if you want me to go to a specific part of the website or anything. I'm um, totally, totally. Uh, so my website was born out of the same ideas that uh, my role has evolved into. So like teaching coding properly and also media literacy as well. And so like the more I, well, back like maybe like a year ago before my website was born, I uh, would look around for resources in terms of coding and in terms of media literacy and stuff like that. And the resources are like far and few in between like no one's really talking about this stuff especially for this population um no, no one's talking about it at all um and there's even like educators who don't know what technology is available to them for their typical classrooms i have a i have a friend uh that i was speaking to the other day and she was like that she has a foreign student in her class and the student does not speak english uh, they don't understand English. She can't communicate with them. So she sits there, unfortunately, on Google Translate and she types out what she wants to say and she presses translate and the kid reads it. And then I was like, well, why don't you just use Papago? And she's like, what's Papago? And I'm like, well, Papago is this app by Google that is just like Google Translate, but you speak into the app and then it auto translates it into the other language and speaks it for you. And so like her mind was blown and she's like, oh my God, like, why doesn't everyone know about this? And that's what my website was born out of. So like I have 
a blog, a vodcast, and a podcast. So the blog, I talk about some of this tech that's like available to people, uh, well, to educators and to parents and to students. Um, and I, I try to keep up on the blog, but I love my uh, my visual stuff and I love my podcast. So there's more content uh, being doled out on there. So the podcast I uh, mainly talk about, there, there are some reruns on my podcast that carry over from the Rebecca School um, podcast about like media literacy, um, coding groups and stuff like that and everything. Um, but I've started creating podcast episodes that are more focused around like professional development for educators and for parents. And I also just started a, I believe the episode should have dropped Monday. I have to check, but I believe it it did go out on my podcast. There is a mini series I started that is directly in line with my line of thinking in terms of how to teach coding um, in a developmental way and, or, and how to learn coding in a developmental way. Um, that's my podcast on Google Podcasts. Um, yeah, there we go. Learn where to code. Is your, where is your blog? So if you go back to my website, there should be up top in one of the tabs. It should say blog. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, right there. Um, yeah, so I, I mostly sometimes repost um, podcasts and vlogs, especially like for the that recent podcast where I wanted to add the links to all of the certifications that are available. Um but for the most part, I do like reviews of stuff. Like for instance, like right there, Classcraft, uh, which is a uh, learning management system for classrooms that's kind of gamified. Uh, and then my vodcast focuses on my main series right now on my YouTube channel is uh, it's called Should You Play? But I may change the name of it from Should You Play to Should They Play? Um, and it's mainly geared at parents for their children. And it revolves around basically the new games, the new hot games that are out right now that are releasing month per month or week per week. Um, and what the dangers and pitfalls of these video games are. And my newest one actually is Rogue Company. And this, this shameless plug for myself I would, I'm releasing a podcast episode next week about Rogue Company. So during the filming of my Rogue Company video for Should You Play on, the, on, on my YouTube channel, um, I actually recorded in one, one uh, match, I guess. In, in one match, there was a, a child with his friends speaking, and they were speaking to another adult uh, that they didn't know. And they were like, hey, man, we should be friends. And they were like, oh, you should come to our private Discord channel and we should talk. And so I'm like listening while we're playing the game. I'm listening to these people talk. And I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, where are these kids' parents? And like, why are they like not taught? Like, like I, I, I'm not assuming that this adult is a bad person. But at the same time, it would be naive of me to be like, hey, like they, they are a fully good person. Um. And then the kids started saying some like, like some semi like racist stuff um, in the chat and stuff like that and everything. And uh, you can tell they knew it was inappropriate because one kid would say something that was somewhat racist. And then the other kid would be like, hey man, we can't, we can't talk like that. That's bad to talk like that. And so it's just like this whole 
Like it's all media literacy. It just all goes back to media literacy. And it's like, yeah, this is what I've been talking about for years. Like it's literally what I've been talking about for years now. It's like, you, you have to have these uncomfortable, uh, uncomfortable, uncomfortable conversations with kids because it's like, hey, like this is inappropriate behavior, whether it's in person or online. Um, and so again, let me, let me, danger. let me correct myself. Not every school needs a Chris Hernandez. Every family needs a Chris Hernandez. So, so every every school, every family. Every... Yes. Every group of parents who have kids that play video games needs a you to run it by because the kids are way ahead of parents in terms way of technology. Ahead. Way, way ahead. ahead. And oh my goodness, this is incredible. It's like we're we're in an age where we think we're in control and the kids are just way way beyond us they're they're just they're way way beyond us um one of the kids in my original computer group he had actually told me in group one time that he had his own youtube channel and he was recording his own video game plays like his his own gameplay and stuff like that and interactions with people online and i, I remember i had asked him i was like does your mom know that you record yourself playing video games as your mom know that you're cursing at people online and stuff like that. And of course he said no. Um, and things. And I, I think it's because like, we think, Oh, they're not going to realize how to do this yet. So we don't have to talk about it, but we're talking, but, but they know how to do it because they're exploring. And that's the great piece of technology is that you learn by exploring. Um, and you, you learn everything yourself, uh, through, through hands-on work. And so and we want our kids to explore. And we want we want them to explore and learn this stuff on their own, especially when we ourselves don't know. Because um, self-exploration is the best way to learn. And so it's just like, it's crazy. It's just all, it's all, it's just all crazy to me. Like how much kids know, how far ahead of us they are. And just like how much they, how much they do. It's, Yeah. Yeah, it is scary when they don't realize the consequences of, mm -hmm. of what can be there for the world to see. And yeah, um, I, I'm, I'm trying to come up with new free resources uh, for both educators and for parents because the birth of this What is STEM resource was mainly for parents because, you know, at the school, as a school's media specialist and like people telling outside people, oh, that Chris does this. Um, I get a lot, I screen a lot of phone calls from companies that are like, we're so amazing. We can teach you. We're an after-school program that can supplement your kids learning and stuff like that. And I oftentimes always ask the question, especially with this population, I ask the question, so you guys are so great. What are you going to do when your kid takes a keyboard and smashes it into the computer screen? And they oftentimes sit there silent on the phone because I've had that happen. I actually at my first ever conference that I presented at, it was one of my videos where a student smashed my keyboard on the desk. Um, because I record all my sessions, I record every uh, that that's the perks of being the media specialist is that I have all the equipment. So I record every single session um, that I have. Um, but yeah, no, and they often fall silent. And they're like, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, you just told me you you work with kids who are on the spectrum. And so what do you do when a kid picks up a keyboard and they smashes and they smash your screen? 
I'm like, I'd like, I'd like to know how you react. And it oftentimes leads to, oh, well, we, we won't accept those kids. And, and I'm like, but all kids deserve, deserve to learn. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so STEM is like marketed and that's why I created that free resource. STEM is really marketed heavily to parents and to educators as like this, um, your kid's going to learn coding and your kid's going to go on to be this great coder. And it's like, it's not that at all. It's become kind of convoluted um, and it needs some dissecting so that everyone understands what it actually is, where it actually started. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I just want to encourage everybody who's listening and is as impressed as I am with everything Chris is doing here to go to his website, leveluptime.studio. And if you click on this little coffee mug here, you can buy him a coffee (laughs) (laughs) as a thank you for everything that he does. Uh, This is a, yeah, you, you deserve lots of coffees, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, Yeah. So, so you have, yeah, this is amazing. You have the new learning to code series. You have, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, all this education for adults, educators, parents, and um, your podcasts, you have an Instagram that you mentioned, uh, there's mm-hmm. a link to on the website. It's uh, at Count Ranchula. That's my, that's my Instagram. I post all, I repost all of my content. So if you enjoy watching all your content on Instagram, um, on my website, it's in the top right corner. There's an Instagram logo. It'll just bring you straight to my Instagram, or you can search for at Count Ranchula. Uh, C-O-U-N-T-R-A-N-T-U-L-A. It's the name of my tarantula. Uh, <laughs> so I have a pet tarantula. Her name is Count Tarantula. Um, yeah, I repost all of my content on my Instagram. So if you enjoy ingesting your content on Instagram, maybe that's the best place to follow, follow me at. And then I also have a one link in bio um, that'll just bring you to all of my other content straight from Instagram. And you have the um, segment EdTech Shorts on Instagram. People yes. Are interested in that. And just so everyone knows, if you're listening on audio podcast or, or um, that on affectautism.com in the blog post about today's podcast. And now I'm going to use vodcast because I didn't know that that was a thing. But apparently I'm doing vodcasts <laughs> as well. So if you're watching on my vodcast on YouTube <laughs> underneath, He's laughing at me. He's like, oh my goodness, this dorky old person. No, not at all. (laughs) (laughs) Um, In the the links under the YouTube blurb, there's there's a link to the blog post. And on the blog post, I will put links to everything that Chris is mentioning. So if you're like, oh, I missed what she just said. I want to go to that. I want to give that to my teacher. I want to show that to my spouse. I want to, et cetera. It'll all be there in the write-up for the blog post. So yeah, this is incredible. So now back to the Rebecca school stuff, because uh, one thing I wanted to do since meeting you in March was to check out the Rebecca school podcasts. Mm -hmm. And it's not that I didn't know about them before, because I did. I just never got around to listening to them until recently. Mm -hmm. And um, if you go to the RebeccaSchool.org website, RebeccaSchool.org, and you scroll to the bottom here, news and media, this is all Chris. So they have blog posts and right here in this orange bar, click here to listen to our podcasts. And here you will see the Rebecca listener. And I've listened to almost all of them now. 
And my two favorites are the two most recent ones posted here, which are from mm. February of this year, Some Food for Thought and The Improv Say Yes and Follow um, with an and. Yes, and. So um, yeah, these are amazing. So I hope people will check out the Rebecca Listener podcasts where you interview your colleagues at the Rebecca School about different issues that come up. Mm -hmm. I, I loved both of those podcasts for different reasons, um, just as a side note. So the, the improv, tying the improv, everybody that goes to improv learns, you never say no, you say yes mm -hmm. and, and you related that to DI or floor time, mm -hmm. which is incredible. Do you want to just say a sentence or two about that? I mean, almost everything, like, I mean, in terms of DI or floor time, it's like almost everything can be related to, to being used with DIR floor time. And I think Haley, Haley would probably speak better about the, um, about the improv section. I've never taken improv, but I thought it was and, really neat that she does the, improv. I forgot to say that the podcast was interviewing Haley who works mm -hmm. at Rebecca school. And she also does stand up comedy on the side, or at least took classes and did mm -hmm. improv. And so she was relating now that she's learned the model DIR floor time, she was relating it. And that's what the podcast was about. Mm -hmm. And and it's just like, I I mean, the podcast was kind of born out of like, why I, I was just sitting in my office and my my supervisor, who's a director of the school, Tina McCourt, um, she, in my yearly reviews, she always asked like, how are you going to improve next year? And so before my yearly review, I was like, kind of like, why doesn't everyone know about DIR floor time? I'm like, it just, it, do, it doesn't make sense to me. Like as, as someone, and like, I never say this as like a bragging point, but as someone that went to private school, practically their entire life, it was super structured. And like, when you, when you work in a DIR full-time environment, you can see the flaws of where traditional learning um, are. And it's just like, I think about like all the times when like I didn't want to do things and it was mainly because like my teacher was yelling at me or something. And it's like, I, I, I don't know. And so like the podcast was born out of like, why aren't people doing DIR floor time? And maybe it's because they know nothing about DIR floor time. So I am going to interview everyone in this school and we are going to talk about DIR floor time. And we're going to talk about how you can connect DIR floor time into different aspects of learning. How does an occupational therapist use DIR floor time? How does a TA who, like, for instance, Haley, who has taken improv classes, how does she use that to her benefit for DIR floor time? How does a teacher implement DIR floor time? And so on. And that's how the podcast came to be. Um, parents love it. Um, we, I think mostly parents are the ones that listen to it, excuse me. Um, and they, they absolutely love it. I've had a few outside listeners who have also emailed and been like, they love the podcast and everything. And I think that's what the missing piece is, is that either someone hasn't heard about DIR floor time, or if they have, they don't know how to apply it. And that's the, that's the missing piece here. That's, that's what we're missing in the DIR floor time community. Cause I feel like oftentimes we get really hype talking about DIR floor time. We're like, Oh my God, it's so great. Like we're, 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 we're in the Kool-Aid. It's amazing. But 
we oftentimes forget that people aren't, not everyone's there with us and we have to connect the dots for them. Um, and yeah, that's how the podcast came to be. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and the the other one we mentioned was called Food for Thought, where mm-hmm. I believe it was two occupational therapists. No, it was two uh, speech therapists. Speech uh, therapists. Yeah. Who have a publication, which I will post the link to at the blog post mm-hmm. with this uh, podcast. And they talk all about the importance of messy play with food mm-hmm. for children and, and developmentally where that leads to. It was just, it was, it was an amazing podcast. I hope everyone will listen. And I love that your podcasts are brief. Like my podcasts are about an hour long. Yours mm-hmm. are like 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 15 mm-hmm. minutes. They're just like that, you know, a great punch of DIR floor time injection mm-hmm. there every day uh, mm-hmm. that I listen to one. And yeah, they're just great. So I hope everyone will listen to that. The other thing that you do is through the Rebecca School, they have a page on Medium, which mm-hmm. is a, a new popular place where people read articles and you have little OT bursts or I'm not sure what the official. So there are um, there are newsletters that okay. go home to uh, to families. And so I have access to all of these newsletters, obviously, because I have access to the school's um, private network and stuff like that and everything. And oftentimes people do come to me for uh, editing advice in the school. So like, uh, well, not really editing, formatting, formatting advice uh, for Word documents because working between a Word document and a PDF can be tough. And so one day someone brought to a newsletter to my attention and I was like, why don't we have a blog and why aren't we sharing these things online? It shouldn't just be for parents. I'm like, everyone should be seeing these things because especially therapists, um, especially a therapist that wants to know about DIR floor time, here are activities. Like here are activities for you, for you to use, for you to do, for things for you to learn. Um, and then for parents, it's like, I feel, I, I felt like it was super archaic to just be sending an email and also sending it in a student's backpack um, because the email can get lost in thousands of emails. I, I get like hundreds of emails a day. Um, and then the like stuffing a paper into a student's backpack that can also get lost um, in translation like eventually, like whether, whether the parent gets it, if the parent does get it, where do they put it in the household? What happens to it and stuff like that. So I'm like, all of these things should have a permanent place to live online because this way it is one link. You can always visit it. I don't delete stuff. And all you have to do is bookmark it. Um, yeah. This is amazing. Um, for those listening on audio podcasts, I'm just scrolling through the Rebecca Schools page at medium.com slash at Rebecca School NY. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's so many good resources today. Um, I was wondering if you could explain a little bit about one of your biggest tasks in the last few months, which mm-hmm. has been really organizing everything online empowering the staff to do schooling remotely during the pandemic, Um, the, you know, having to set up this hybrid learning from classrooms and online learning. 
how has that process gone? And you mentioned there's a new media literacy program at the school, if you wanted to mention more about that and how that relates mm -hmm. to all of this as well. So about a, a year ago, way before in the before four time, before this pandemic happened and we all went into virtual doing stuff, um, I, I, I personally, the person that I am, I'm really big into tech, but I'm also really, and this goes into my instructional design degree, um, I'm really big into tech and how it can be applied. Okay. I'm not going to just adopt tech. I, ha I have people that reach out to me all the time about virtual reality. And they're like, this will be great for your students. I will never sign off on virtual reality uh, for student learning until it's at a certain point. Um, right now, the technology is not there and you shouldn't be pushing virtual reality on schools. So I love exploring technology and learning how it can be applied. So about a year ago, um, I came across that Microsoft gives out free, um, not domains, but free office accounts to schools and stuff like that and everything. And I realized it was something that we used to have, but our, our we're, we're, Rebecca School is owned by a higher up company um, and they had transitioned it out. And I saw a need for staff to have something that was HIPAA slash FERPA compliant um, where they can like upload like a few, like, I guess like a report and do it from like either their office or carry their laptop with them. That way, you know, our server, our private server had been crashing a little bit in the time. And I was like, what's something that we can use? And obviously everyone goes to Google. I do not trust Google in the slightest. Um, and we'll, we'll get to why I don't trust. Well, everyone knows why, but there are some things people don't know that you should be aware of. Um, especially if you're in a school. Um, so I was like, we should sign up for this account. I'm, I'm very avid about like telling Tina, who is my supervisor, who's the director of school, we could use this in this way. Let's use it. So we adopted office 365 for education with the, the HIPAA compliance, um, add on and stuff like that and everything. And so fast forward, um, to the pandemic happening, um, all of our stuff was accessible via office 365 on our private server and so it was almost as if i was pre-planning for everything to happen in a sense and the only missing piece was what learning management system are we going to use so at first i was like google classroom all the way um we never got approved for a google a google um education account um, so we use like free Google Classroom add-on and stuff like that and everything. And I kind of using my, again, using my instructional design degree, um, I created templates for teachers and therapists to follow within the classroom to make everything easier for parents to see and to access and stuff like that and everything. Um, and then eventually, you know, my mind, I oftentimes, and my fiance always tells me to calm down. Um, in my mind, I oftentimes freak out because I'm like, yeah, but Google's spying on us and stuff like that and everything. And I'm like, so we have to be aware that Google's, Google's not fully HIPAA compliant. So Google got in trouble in Europe, which has the strictest student privacy laws in the world. And it was basically that they were collecting information on students and stuff like that. So they were okayed here in the States. Apparently there was an investigation. They were okayed, 
obviously they were okayed because Google Classrooms is used by many um, districts, um, educational districts and everything. Um, but me being the worry wart that I am, I was like, we have to find a way to move everything into Office 365. So eventually what we did was we, we moved everything into Office 365 and we adopted the learning management system Edmodo, which I did a similar thing in, which is I structured what classrooms should look like for the best learning outcome. Um, for both parents and for students where they can find things, how to individualize content, because this is the piece that we miss in translating DRR for time into kind of like an online learning space is the, the individuality of it. Um, so Edmodo allows for like, I, I mean, Google Classroom allows for it too, but Edmodo allows for private content to be distributed amongst students and stuff like that. That way they have their own individualized uh, content on the platform. And then, of course, we eventually moved every all the students into uh, our HIPAA compliant Office 365 so that they can each have their own usernames and stuff like that and everything just to make it easier for them to log in and everything. Um, yeah. Did I answer your question? That's because I just gave you the time lapse of everything. <laughs> yeah. So has it been a challenge for the staff to move to this hybrid learning? So I am... Um, are you guys completely remote or are kids going into the school at all? So we are not completely remote. We are in a hybrid process right now. Um, we have two cohorts. And so a cohort A comes in twice a week and then they're hybrid the rest of the week. Cohort B, same thing. They come in twice a week and they are virtual the rest of the week. Um, it has, I mean, with everything, it has been a learning curve for both staff, students, and parents. And I would sometimes like to think that because I am here and I helped in this hybrid transition, that it made everything easier because I had all of the resources that we followed. I created resources for people to follow. Um, but it was definitely, it's, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult because even in this hybrid model, you have to think about the students that are let's say cohort A, a students in school, what about the kids that are fully virtual? What about the kids that aren't coming in or participating in this hybrid model? So to that, we have uh, these really cool webcams called OWL webcams that are 360 degree webcams that scan the entire room. So you can virtually project your actual in real life classroom. That way students who are fully virtual can join in on the important activities throughout the day and everything um and then as far as uh sessions go for therapists and stuff like that if they're fully virtual they're meeting with their therapist virtually um on their laptop and stuff like that and on their virtual on um, obviously staff virtual days they're meeting virtually um throughout the day uh depending on the activity depending on where they are and stuff like that but yes no again it, it it's it's wasn't easy it, it wasn't like it wasn't like we we went fully we went virtual and then it was like oh like easy peasy lemon squeezy everything's there we can do this you know the problem with something like this is that a lot of people i guess i could phrase it as like a lot of people want to be involved um and you know too many ideas thrown into the same pot can make the food taste really nasty so it was kind of just like 
or too too much too much too much seasoning. I don't know. I, I'm trying to find a analogy here. Um, well, too many cooks in the kitchen. Um, but it was kind of like all of us finding our place in this new style of learning. Um, and with how fast I I was able to create resources um, for us, I guess really really helped um, calm nerves and stuff like that because it always seemed like I had a plan. Um, I don't always have a plan. Um, I, I too learn as things are happening. Um, it was just lucky enough for me that I was in the middle of finishing my degree in instructional design and educational technology. And I knew all about learning management systems and I knew about structuring, um, learning management systems and stuff like that for classrooms and everything. Um, yeah, it was just, it turned out really lucky. And I think it would have been a worse transition if I didn't have that knowledge. So Tina McCourt, make sure you have an insurance policy taken out on Chris Hernandez because <laughs> I'm sure she realizes you are invaluable to that school. Wow. I, I actually, I, I said a joke to her the other day. I, um, I saw her and I said, hey, so on a scale of I'm completely amazing to you couldn't run this school at the moment without me where do i land and she started dying <laughs> laughing and she's like wow there's like no there. <laughs> uh, but it was just meant to be funny it's just no as i said it's it's still it's a learning process for me as well um i've never done this before and even though i now have the educational backing to do this stuff it's still a learning process because there are so many new things that are happening um and so many laws that i have to like also follow as well because you can't go into this thinking like oh well this is what we're going to do and it's like no like is it FERPA compliant like it's the big question we we have these compliancy laws that we have to follow so it's all it's all a big learning process for sure um i did a podcast with dave nelson at threshold community program in atlanta mm -hmm. uh talking about how they've transitioned to online learning so if if listeners are interested in hearing more about what they did at, at their DIR floor time school, you can look up that in at affectautism.com as well. Um, but Chris, wow. Um, it's amazing. I could talk to you forever, but to wrap <laughs> it up, I, <laughs> <laughs> to wrap it up, I'm going to uh, pull a U on yourself uh -oh. and say uh, it's your time. It's your floor time for floor time as my guest. So how does doing the podcast for Rebecca School, being a media specialist, writing the articles, or, or at least sharing the articles from the newsletter, and everything that you do media-related inform your work and takeaways? So here's your floor time for floor time. So I think I want to start that off with, I think that every school needs a, a position like mine, someone that knows that, uh, knows, knows how to navigate the the weird space that we're in. And I'm not talking about a single person that handles a full district because that means multiple schools and stuff like that. I mean, every single school personally needs either someone like me or a team of people like me to help them navigate the weird ins and outs of like the digital age that we're coming to fruition in. I mean, things like publishing blog posts for a school can communicate to a community like oh like this is what my kids are learning it, it, it 
it creates a level of transparency. And we're in a world at the moment where transparency is needed um, for everyone. So being able to publish these podcasts, being able to publish these blog posts, do all of this work creates a level of transparency for the community of Rebecca School. And it's not just the staff, it's the parents and their extended families as well, because it helps not only the families understand, well, the parents understand what's going on at school at the moment, it also helps their extended family, oh, this is what someone in my family is experiencing. This is what they're going through. This is how the school combats um, certain issues and how the parents go about like certain learning and stuff like that and everything. Um, yeah, I, it's, all I can really say is just, I don't understand why my position doesn't exist at other schools, um, but it Money. actually needs to. I, my, I, I, I understand. So the, the funny thing is, is that I understand that the problem is money is that it it is money it, it is um so as soon as you know schools are granted the funding they deserve uh you need a dedicated instructional designer um ed tech coach and digital creator because who else is going to fend off all these nonsense programs that try and come to your school and push programs you don't need and also how are you going to create that level of transparency for your community? Because a school is a community at the end of the day. Um, and that's what people get so upset about is that a school is a community for their child. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, Chris, for everything you do. And anyone listening and watching, if over the next few months you see the quality audio-visual quality of my podcast improving, <laughs> I think I'm going to start consulting with Chris <laughs> on how to improve my sound and my video and everything else. Um, to have the young generation coming in, not only being media savvy and, and all the other things that go along with it, like you described, but having a younger generation of floor time because Dr. Greenspan trained a number of people and they've all been clinicians and doing their wonderful floor timing for years and they're all in their 50s and 60s now and and to get younger people on board and the Rebecca School is a, a wonderful example for and a model for for the country for North America for the world about how DIR floor time can be applied in so many ways and we've done podcasts with Rebecca School people about process-oriented learning and how they do DIR floor time in the classroom. So I'll encourage listeners to check those out as well if they haven't. I wish every single community had a Rebecca school. It would be mm -hmm. amazing. So let's continue to dream for that. We'll dream for Rebecca schools in every community and people like Chris in every school and family. <laughs> <laughs> thank so you so thank much you. for having me on. Thank you, Chris. I hope I didn't... Um, inflate your head too large that it won't no. fit. <laughs> no, not not at all. I, I I'm at a point in my life where I understand that I'm I'm still learning. It's yes. So thank you very much. Again, listeners, tune in at affectautism.com. Check out the blog post. I'll put links to everything Chris mentioned. And Chris, I'd love to have you back sometime in the future. I'd love to be back. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> Until next time, here's to affecting autism through play. <laughs>